0: Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we explore the world of hospitality by chatting with its most colorful characters.
1: Hello, Danny. What's going on, Tim? Uh, well, I went to a Bulls game recently, and I had a few Ooh. observations. How many Bulls games do you go to in a year? Um, this was the second one. My friend Keith, Keith and Kelly, they own uh, Escal. You probably know Eskel. Yes, yes. Uh, Beautiful Manhattan. space. Great spot. Great I love spot. I looking
0: into the windows there when I drive by. Yeah,
1: it's a great spot for gifts. If you need a gift... I can always find something for whoever I'm shopping for, um, but he has Keith has season tickets and we live very close to um, the United Center. So if he, I'm good. I'm like a good last minute guest. If he has tickets, <laughs> yeah. sometimes he sells the tickets. If the tickets don't sell, then he'll go and he'll be like, Hey, you want to go to the Bulls game? It's always like an hour before the game. It's like I'll make dinner and then run over it's there. It's like a reverse Eduardo. <laughs> yeah, we have a friend Eduardo <laughs> who likes to. <laughs> no he always invites us like last minute also yeah
0: yeah oh so the same as same. Florida. yeah not reverse um
1: <laughs> but i noticed something well first of all i i was sat next to a very uh large dude and how large are we talking um large enough pounds? that he took up his seat and half of mine how many pounds would you say i don't know if i could guess but north of north of i'd say 350 something like that is a big what? he's a big dude not at all not a tall dude oh and like God. like no arm. like that's fine but here's here's my thing like I, I go to my seat and the guy's already sat down and his arm is literally in my yeah. seat and he makes no effort to move or make any sort of room when i sit down yeah. and um and i'm like oh man this is tough. and it, and keith's seats are weird because keith has a, he has two seats two season tickets his is like uh, it's like an island. His cha- his seat is on an aisle, and then there's a space, and then there's my seat. So he has like all the room in the world, and mm. I have room to my left, but to my right there is a man's arm in my side. Yeah, uh, an unflinching man. <laughs> and here's my thing. He was he was with his two boys, who are um, younger and smaller. And I'm like, all right, if you've got two boys and you're you know that you're taking up this yeah. much space, you sit in the middle And have the boys And you on either take side. up your Yeah, and you put the boys on either side and you take up their seat because they're kids and they have the room to spare. I'm a full grown man. And they know you.
0: <laughs> what? The kids know no, the kids know him. You're, and saying, the, if yeah, you're right. talking to him. He should sit in the middle of his two kids and exactly. know him. If yeah. You don't. It's awkward for you to be touching this guy. Exactly. It's not awkward for his kids. And then to I
1: started thinking, him. like, I'm using maybe 60 percent of my seat yeah to but paying for the whole so i mean keith obviously i was <laughs> yeah. keith's guest but like paying for the whole this guy's taking up 1.4 seats he should pay for 1.4 seats yeah, and i was a tough, very bitter and i'm like i'm like god this game's gonna suck and then it turns out the guy was hilarious oh that's and cool we, and we talked through the whole game and his kids like it was one of his son's birthdays and um and they were excited. They had, like, signs and stuff. Oh. And I actually ended up having a really good time. And so it's I did. A, kind of a happy ending. It's a happy ending. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, open o- open mind. You yeah. Gotta, but one thing I noticed is the entertainment at Bulls games. Have you been to a game recently? Not recently. The entertainment.
0: I've got a lot of missed calls from Keith, though, on my phone I'm seeing.
1: Oh, that's probably what it is. <laughs> last minute tickets. Yeah. Um, But the entertainment has been taken over by older people. Hmm. There's a thing called... Like the, octogenarians, or what are we talking about? Uh, sexagenarians, I'd say, not octo. <laughs> Octo's pretty advanced. <laughs> yeah. But there's a group called the Swinging Seniors. Have you heard wow. of the Swinging Seniors? No, that sounds great. And they're all former lovables, but they're wow. older now. They're from like the Jordan era. They're from like the 90s. So and they're, they're all not like, swinging because they sleep with each other. Is unconfirmed. That? I don't know. Okay. I can't answer that. Um, but I'd, I'd be interested in getting to the bottom of that. Um, but no, it's like, it's like their own troop and they did like a halftime show or maybe not even halftime, maybe like a timeout show, but they're doing like their own. And then they're not moving like they used to, or like the current lovables, but they can still move and That's stuff. Very cool. Yeah, And that was kind of cool. And then the halftime show was a woman who goes by the name red Panda, you know, <laughs> no. have you ever heard of red Panda? I not. So red Panda, it was my first time seeing her and Keith, like, because he has season tickets, nothing is new to him. Yeah. He's seen it. All. He's like, he's like, Oh, we got red Panda today. i like, what the hell is that? He's like, Oh, you'll see. And um, he couldn't have described it because it's a very unique um, yeah, halftime well, tell, show.
0: Try to tell it to me.
1: I will, um, and I'll do a good job. It's uh, it's another older woman. She's the same age as the sw- swinging seniors. She's probably, God, I don't want to guess, but sexagenarian in that range. <laughs> and she, right? <clears throat> she's wearing like a like a red, like a bull's red leotard, and she's on a very tall unicycle, hmm. like maybe. Like her head's above the rim. She's so probably she, on like a 10 to 10 12 foot, foot yeah, okay. unicycle. And she rides around the court and then she balances bowls on her foot. So she's pedaling with one foot. She's balancing like wow white plastic bowls on her other foot. And then she kicks the bowls up in the air and catches them on her head. That's crazy. And it, it doesn't stop there. Then someone comes out, like the, the bull, double- Comes out and hands and like throws more bowls up to her while she's balancing bowls on her head already and on this unicycle he throws more bowls she puts those on her foot kicks them up and catches them in the bowls that are already on her head and she does like five rounds of it so she has like twenty five bowls on her head by
0: the end next thing you're gonna tell me she was smoking a bowl this whole time maybe before (laughs) (laughs) but like it's crazy I was like who comes up with this. It's wild, yeah.
1: And then I now I'm seeing after saying bulls a million times, maybe that's the theme. Yeah, bulls, bowls. She's catching bulls on her head at the bulls game. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I thought it was cool that like yeah.
0: uh, you know it's it's they're getting creative over there at the United Center. You know who else gets creative? Tell me, Todd Stein. That's right. Our this week's guest. Yeah, the chef, the very one good and guest. only.
1: Yeah, a uh, Chicagoland native, grew up in Highland Park. Uh,
0: went he went to Kendall College, I believe. Yep. And his cooking's taken him all over the world. It really has um, quite an impressive resume. He, you know, locally has worked at Bristol and Formentos. He works for Ballyhoo, so that's like Pomeroy, Sophia Stay. Yeah, he's the Coded executive Volte, culinary director. Of spots, I believe. Yep. Yeah, and uh, he's really left his mark on the scene. He's worked with a lot of influential people like Mindy Siegel, Eric Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this Dave was a fun Barron, interview. Yeah, Tim's old roommate.
1: That's right. Uh, I like interviews like this cause he's worked with a lot of people in the industry and a lot of people who we've had on the pod already, and it's cool to connect the dots and sure. kinda, it helps, uh, fill in the colors of our wonderful culinary scene in Chicago. That is correct. So without further ado, please enjoy our conversation with Todd Stein.
0: All right, Todd. Welcome in. Thanks, guys. It's great to
1: be here. Welcome to the studio, Todd. This is a studio of all studios. It is. It's uh,
0: really where uh, where legends are created. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. legends are born. <laughs> yeah, legends Up are here. Born. With <laughs> yeah. this view, I mean, yeah. Yeah, so it
2: actually
1: I'm, is kind of a sweet I view. Know. We've got a little bit of a skyline view yeah, over there. There's a I green mean,
0: structure.
2: You don't see water towers much often in the no. city anywhere but especially in the city it's like landmark status years yeah. ago i lived in the south loop and we had one on a building that eventually got top, uh, torn down across the street from us and it was like it was kind of cool there's that there's the l
1: it is kind of <laughs> cool we tried to move into a building on walnut like a block south of here and it had like the property had a water tower on it and it's right next to lake street so you get the l yeah. we're like oh we have to put some branding on the Absolutely. on the water tower it's free unfortunately they wouldn't let us move in and now there's a brewery there. It's just rude. Did good. the brewery take over the branding on it? Uh, that's a good question. It's Midwest Coast. It's a cool, cool brand. Um, the listeners if, are going to love this.
0: <laughs> we have such an interesting.
1: Danny's <laughs> constantly assessing the content in real time. It's just, <laughs> <laughs> number, it's it's the it's the film equivalent of staring at the camera. <laughs> just shut up. Just shut the fuck up. <laughs>
2: Hey, it's like, we nice. can edit you just keep anything pouring
1: up. in. you, know, yeah,
0: yeah. you got to roll with it. <laughs> Tim, Tim does not want the content about water out. towers edited out of this yeah, episode. That's very not. near. No,
1: this over. was for... His family grew up. I'm lubing Todd up here. <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> right? we good, man. We're good. <laughs> All right, Todd. So I did a lot of research for oh, your Nice. For your did interview. you call my mom? Uh, yep, yep. Okay, uh, Extended family. Great. Yep, we got got the in-laws. So you started cooking at 11? Started working in restaurants at 11? Well,
2: I wouldn't necessarily... Call it working in restaurants. I, in fifth grade, we had the opportunity to work in a uh, business for the day.
1: Oh, uh, job shadow. We did yeah. that. Yeah.
2: And I grew up in Highland Park, and mm. one of our family favorite restaurants was a restaurant in Highwood called the Shrimp Walk, hmm. um, which I would say in the 70s and 80s and probably the 90s was, you know, not a high-end, like Don Draper kind of tavern.
1: Yeah. Was it W-O-K or W-A-L-K? No. W-A-L-K? Shrimp W-A-L-K. Walk. Okay.
2: And they had the best French onion soup
1: ever. Ooh.
2: And my, my two biggest memories as a kid, besides when I got to work there, were French onion soup and deep fried mushrooms. Mm. And as a, as a fifth grader, I really wanted to learn how to make French onion soup. And all the kids in my classes were like, oh, we're going to work at a lawyer's office or my dad's doctor's office or stuff like that. And I'm like, I want to go see how they make soup. So, I had no idea, you know, as a kid, what I was getting into. And they actually put me to work in the kitchen for the day um, and chopping cucumbers and picking lettuce and all this stuff. And then, of course, they told me how they make the French onion soup. And then I, I think, if I recall, I was there until about six o'clock, took the train from. My house in Ravinia up to Highwood. I felt like the big <laughs> kid, and uh, and I got to experience the restaurant until right after it was o- as it was opening. And I remember there was somebody there early on for a celebration of birthday, and they brought everybody out, you know, to sing happy birthday to this person. And they made me come along, and so it was this really interesting experience as, as such a young kid, you yeah. know, very fortuitous, yeah. as one might say, where my career ended up uh, and doing that for a living every day.
0: It seems to get a cool sense of community right away. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, and I was fortunate. You know, my, my mom and both my grandmothers, when they were alive, um, food was really important in, in our household, and food was really a thing. Um, it, obviously, it was the place where my family got together every night, and you know, talked about our days and, and things like that, but the meal was always the centerpiece. And my parents were really good about taking us out to restaurants and getting us to uh, experience things outside of the home. You know, vividly remember going, to, of all places, uh, Chi-Chi's in, uh, <laughs> in Deerfield when they opened as a kid and, you know, waiting two and a half hours for a table to have a, a burrito or a chimichanga and finish with fried ice cream while my parents got loaded on margaritas, you know.
0: <laughs> so <fun>. what is <laughs> the secret to the French onion soup? You skipped right over that. So...
2: There, I mean, and this is way back when they really they made veal stock and they they did it the wow. right way and they caramelized the onions uh, for a very very long time. They made it in massive amounts um, and you know pop the crouton in the in the crock and and melt the Gruyere and and I'm pretty sure it was Gruyere back then um, and it was just done the right way. You know cider in it and wine and all and all of the things that really go into it. You know and then obviously we in my current restaurant group we have a great. Um, french bistro on the north shore that has amazing um, onion soup and every time i taste it it reminds me of fifth grade
0: that's awesome did you yeah. do a job shadow danny um i did actually with uh two screenwriters whoa really yes how fate- old were you um, yeah, one fate- was it was with lowell gans and babaloo mandel and uh, i was probably i mean i was probably like 15 16 it wasn't like a fifth i was not yeah. a fifth grader that's for sure but i remember just like i mean i don't even know what i was like expecting to learn out of it i think i was like you know i saw all the posters of the movies that they had done and i was like <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> not like they were yeah, like we were, all right we, pitch us your ideas yeah, How do we punch here, up really <laughs> yeah you have no life experience yeah i think i was just like they were but like at least this is kind of the come. path yeah it was cool right. um but yeah,
1: that was about it. That's cool. Yeah, I I did. We had like the eighth grade project yeah. where we had to choose like a job to shadow, and I wanted to do something in apparel, and everyone's like, "That is so stupid." So <laughs> <Why>? and so, <laughs> I, and so I didn't, <laughs> and then I did uh, sports medicine, and I oh cool. I job shadowed a radiologist, but the radiologist it turns out the radiologist doesn't do anything. All the techs do all the work, and so I've like followed the techs around and took X rays and stuff, and then they would bring everything to the radiologist, who's like. Playing video games in his office, and he's like, "Yep, that's broken." <laughs> <laughs> we were, really? I remember, like shopping for golf clubs online with the guy, and you're like, "This could be a sweet job." But the the right? one takeaway <laughs> is, uh, don't get your kids a trampoline because it's very oh, dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah, yeah. We our
2: behind-the-fence uh, neighbors of ours uh, have a trampoline, and I keep waiting
0: for a serious accident. Yeah, it's like that's I'm, a bad. We got lucky situation. that we did not have any because these trampolines, you know, at that time and. Yeah. Very I was popular in the nineties. They were not they didn't have like the fancy No walls the enclosure. Or, yeah, the mm-hmm. enclosure. Yeah, it was just mat yeah and springs. Yeah, and I would we would get pushed off that thing, like from midair to the ground all the time. <laughs> Or, like, you'd be doing, you'd try to do Double like a flip people. and get pushed in midair and, like, land on your neck on the ground. Yeah. Like, from 20 feet, you know, from 5 Think of the midair. Simpsons episode yeah, where just, they pan out. There's 4,000
1: kids <laughs> in their yard.
3: Ow, yeah. oh, that hurts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know,
1: I'm sick yeah. the same exact thing. Uh, uh, but it was fortuitous yeah. because then I went on to work in apparel. Yeah. yeah. Oh, like, had you started? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe I have Yeah, I'd have a great head start if I had started when I was 13. yeah. Jeez. Absolutely.
0: It's amazing. You'd be like those, um, the onesie guys. Uh, huh? The guys that made those suits for oh, like the festivals. Oh, right. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll that see. was like a moment. What was
1: that called? The uh, 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 It was a onesie for men, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah. God, what was it called? <laughs> we, we, we were I advisors for would, them. Know, they ended yeah. up on the Kimmel, or on uh, Fallon talking uh, about it and they made fun of it on SNL. Um, it's not God. like mansy, but it's like talking something, about something like that. that.
2: I, I think... I believe I remember seeing this on television. This is a fun fact. Um, I don't know if it's still, or but at a period of time, Gene Simmons used to love to wear a onesie to bed. <laughs> which is like the funniest story ever to me. I, you know, I did picture Gene Simmons, you know, in this onesie and having to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Like, I don't know
1: about that, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't like to think of him in a bedroom setting. It was no. like a
0: male romp, romp him, romp him. Romp that's what him. it was called. Yeah. Romp him. It was a romper, a romper for men. Yeah. Like a romp also him. a horror movie. And they made sold sure. like
1: millions <laughs> yeah. of dollars. They were students at, um, Kellogg. And it was One like of a our thing, advisors yeah. asked us to like help out. So I, I actually helped them source the fabric for that project. And um, I think they graduated fabric. and uh, it was like all novelty prints. It was kind of a weird project, but I'm like, we were like a, a startup clothing brand at that time. And then these guys went absolutely viral. And my advice to them initially was like, mm, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, uh, You're like, you probably want to do radiology and <laughs> stuff. Yeah, uh, Romp him. I don't think so. I don't see it. <laughs> and, and they sold thousands and thousands of units. And I haven't, to this day, I've never seen a single person wear one.
0: Hmm. Yeah, they were. I was like going on a WGN segment to promote the cocktail social, and they were on right before I was. And I remember talking to Tim at the time because I knew there was like some yeah. some relationship there. It was just so bizarre. It was like everywhere all of a sudden, and I haven't seen it or How heard about did it this since. This happened. Yeah, so yeah. weird. And then they're gone. Yep. All right. So back to the. All career. Right, we've got a great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: we've got some great ideas for what to cut out of the episode. Now. <laughs> no, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that one's <laughs> actually good. <I> <laughs> cut out nothing at this point. Uh, so you're part of the Highland Park culinary um kingdom yeah it's, it's a lot kind of people of, from a lot heard. of people
2: it's kind of it's kind of interesting and you know growing up as a jewish kid on the north shore and i remember when i decided this is what i wanted to do um first thing out of my mom's mouth was Are you sure you want to work that hard <laughs> um and you know you look at the the list of people you know um myself and ari and mindy siegel and Josh Kaplan and Mark Newman and Michael Cornick and even at a higher level, Christopher Costow and you know, in California and all these people that grew up in Highland Park, that decided that uh, restaurants and, and things about restaurants um, were exciting, um, and I think a lot of it. We're all in a very similar age bracket, plus or minus a few years, mm-hmm. and it's interesting that that our age group chose this profession. I love it, right? Um, We just happened to grow up in Highland Park, but we all chose a path.
1: What do you think is the reason? Is it because, I think Ari had mentioned that um, that's where the journalists were. Yeah. Do you think that's what kicked it off? I think
2: that's part of it. I mean, you know, Highland Park, also known uh, on a theater standpoint, you know, Steppenwolf and Gary Sinise, you know, all all, all of that stuff. John Malkovich. John Malkovich is a very creative network of people, right? You know, when my parents moved there in the 70s, um, from Hyde Park, and I think a lot of people that moved there around then, it was it was a very inexpensive but very nice place to live with a great school system, and uh, and there even then there was a focus on the creative arts, and I think that that continued on. I think it still continues on today. Um, obviously, it's a little more expensive to live there now, but mm-hmm. I, I think it it almost breeds that in in an environment you would never think would.
1: Yeah. And Ravinia, right there. You mentioned the Ravinia that that we lived. That's awesome. Did you hang out there a lot? Um,
2: Well, I worked there for two summers uh, in the parking lot directing traffic, which was great. (laughs) We went to a tremendous amount of concerts. In our first house that we lived, it was literally around the corner, and you could hear uh, perfectly on a good night. I remember Diana Ross playing there as a kid, and you could hear it. Um, And then we moved a little further away, um, and. But you could still hear it when the wind blew the right way. But yeah, I mean, you grow up with that in your backyard and you go sit and have a picnic and listen to amazing music. It sticks to you. Yeah.
1: yeah. sure. What were some of the big names playing that around that time? Do you remember? 70s, 80s, 90s. Yeah. Well, they all big names yeah. still to this day. I
2: mean, Jerry Seinfeld did stand up oh. there once before, way before the show, way before he was very famous, which was very cool.
0: Um, hmm. did they do much stand up at Ravinia? No, they did a couple. I don't think so. And it was dur- that That's one was during the I never day, even knew they did that, hmm. which was interesting.
2: Huh. We uh, my favorite as a kid, we always Huge would audience. go massive. We would go at the end, one of the last symphony um pieces was the 1812 overture mm. and they had live cannons so as a kid that's cool you know, was really fascinated with <laughs> that, that for some cool. reason um yeah it was you know it was it was an experience i think it still is i haven't been in a number of years and my wife and i keep talking about oh we gotta go we gotta go um and then life gets in the way but i you know i think to grow up with that and really have it in the back of your head all the time is it again it promotes the creativity and not a lot of people get that as in, in their young life
1: yeah So you end up going to culinary school. I do. Did you go to undergrad somewhere else or was it straight into?
2: Well, I tried. (laughs) Uh,
1: You know, I I graduated
2: high school and I I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do with myself. And um, I went to a a kind of smaller school in Texas, um, which is now called Texas State University, San Marcos. Then it was called Southwest State University, Southwest Texas State University um, in San Marcos. And it wasn't really for me. Yeah. Um, I wasn't. I, I, listen, I don't think a lot of kids when they graduate high school are prepared or ready to go to college. I totally agree. Yeah, you
1: know, I I, I know. wish I could go to college now because yes. I'm just kind of figuring out what I like. And I'd I, probably go to culinary school.
2: I, I agree 100% if I had to do it all over again. Um, and so I was like, eh, Mom, Dad, I don't know if this is really for me. And they're like, well, you, you can stop, but you need a job. And I was fascinated as a kid with – the commodities and stock markets and I wall street, you know, as a kid when that movie came out. Yeah. Um, and so I went to work on the floor at the mercantile exchange, uh, as, as a runner and then a desk clerk and such. And I loved it. Um, and then but that was the heyday
1: that's when you heyday. wanted to be down there was, do you have yeah. any fun stories I, I had a, I had an options and futures um, professor in college I went to Lake Forest College uh-huh. so North Shore yes. and uh, that was the reason that was my first job was at the Merck too yeah. and um, he had all these fun stories about like Boxing matches in the pits and and all sorts of oh, people, debauchery going yeah, on. Yeah,
2: debauchery at its finest. And yeah. as an eighteen year old kid, you're like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> you know this is so cool. Yeah, uh, you know, and it's you start early in the morning and you're done. You know, in, in the in the early afternoon, and it, it was organized chaos. And you know, I one of the things I vividly remember, not in a in a in a negative way, but um, every time McDonald's would come out with the McRib, <laughs> a few weeks before uh, it was released. Uh, Pork bellies would go limit up because, and for those of you that don't know, that means the price goes to its high as it's allowed to trade and it stays there all day. Uh, and they would go limit up uh, because McDonald's had bought everything on the market. And then when it was coming time for it to go away, it would go limit down for a number of days. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if you had insider information, when not insider information, but information, <laughs> <they have> knowledge, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, that it was going to happen, you could probably do pretty well. And and it's funny that it, you know, it was truly tied to restaurant chain right? yeah wow.
1: and i think that's why the mcrib is seasonal is to give yes. like hogs a chance to regenerate yeah which is really and wild to think into about a little patty yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: um
2: so but i i had afternoons and weekends to myself um and i was living in evanston at the time and there was a gourmet food store there that was also in Glencoe, um called foodstuffs
1: yeah there's one in lake forest yeah too.
2: there's one in lake forest and glenview now um so i started working there part-time and that and, and a little more um and I would you know scoop salads and stuff out of the deli for people and then I started working in the fish and meat department and learning to fabricate fish and cut meat and you know all that stuff and then and and so food had like re-entered again into my life um and maybe not the second or third time but it had re-entered my life there for sure uh and I had this grand idea I want to go to culinary school and I want to become a chef. And this is, you know, in the early 90s. And when I actually enrolled was in 1994. So I was living in Evanston. I was working there. I was working at the Mark. Um, And Kendall College was right down the street from where I was living. So I was like, all right, let's give this a look. And when I told my parents I wanted to do this, and my mom gave me the are you sure you want to work this hard speech? Um, (laughs) They were actually very supportive, and it was like, where do you want to go? And I was like, well, I could go to any of these schools. I could go to New England Culinary Institute or, you know, CIA or any of these. But I wanted to, this was home, and I wanted to work in Chicago, and I knew this is where I was from and make the most connections. So I thought Kendall made the most sense.
1: What was your cooking skill set like at that point? Uh, then in my mind, or no, before before going to culinary <laughs> yeah, school, um, were you cooking? I mean, were you making well, food for yourself every night?
2: A, l- a little bit. So when I was in high school, my parents um, separated and then ultimately divorced. And so I was living with my dad for a long time. And so my dad, you know, worked nine to five and such. And so I started cooking dinner. My parents, you know, as I said, really exposed us to food for a long time, and I think it was something that was always in my blood. So I would cook with my mom a lot, and I'd go to the grocery store with my mom a lot, but then it was just me and my dad, and boy, did we live high on the hog, we're eating lobster and lamb chops, (laughs) you know, and all all the good stuff. And my dad, you know, also still to this day, both, both my parents are amazing cooks. So, you know, I was always around it, and I didn't, I wouldn't say I knew a ton, but I knew a lot of basics and I was really impressionable and picked up a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and then I think going to culinary school started to give me the truly what knife skills are and what things really mean and truly how to, how to cook um, right out of the gate. And I was also very fortunate um, early on into school, um, the career placement gentleman came into our class and said, Hey, listen, there's a restaurant in the city that's looking for some help. It's called Gordon. Is anybody interested in it? And I'd eaten there a number of times with my mom and her then husband. Um, and, you know, this is a f- really fancy restaurant that we would get dressed up and go to. And the food was amazing. And I was the only person in my class that raised my hand. And <laughs> really? That, and that was really the beginning of it all for me. And wow. I, 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 I'm like timing and – and luck, and all of those things come into play.
1: Do you think yours was the only hand that went up because you were the only one who knew the restaurant, or yeah. because you were the only person brave enough to go? Uh, into I think something? a little bit of both. Yeah.
2: Um, definitely. Um, I think people, you know, probably a month into culinary school, were a little intimidated. Um, but I knew it, and I, you know, and so I, I, I jumped at the opportunity. But
1: yeah, I, I, th- I think
2: it's both.
0: How was that learning curve when you started? Oh boy.
2: Um, so.
1: This was uh, uh, Keith Korn was the chef? Yeah.
2: So when I started, there was another chef there. Um, and they hired me, uh, I don't know, three or four days a week. Um, and the, and he was only, the, the, uh, Scott was only there for a short period of time because they had hired Keith and he was moving from Washington, D.C. And,
0: you know, I didn't know anything about working,
2: really working in the kitchen. So I was just like a sponge. And then Keith arrived and I was like, oh, I think this is what a chef really is um, in my limited knowledge. And. Um, the switch in style of food and type of food. And I'll always remember back to that first experience with Keith, and it's where obviously I think you I learned the most because, A, I was exposed to the most, but, B, it really captured my heart and, and really I understood it, and I was excited about learning every day. And Keith was really, and we can we'll get to more of it later, but Keith was really instrumental in a lot of the people that I met because of him becoming very integrable parts of my career. And, you know, at the time in the mid-90s working at, at Gordon it was an incredible experience. It was an amazing restaurant. You know, I think back at, at the amount of volume we did with, in the type of food we were cooking, and it, it still blows my mind.
1: Yeah. What other restaurants were operating at that level at the time in, in the area?
2: Well, you had Frontera across the street. Okay. And the river North was a little quiet. Then. Yeah. It wasn't what it what it is today, and I think, you know, there was – Brasserie Joe. There was, um, Frontera. There was us. The boss bar was and still is there. Oh yeah. Uh, the bar. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few nights after service spent there, and you know, and a handful of other places. But it wasn't um, as as busy as it is now. Maggiano is open a few years later. Um, but And then obviously we know what River North is like now. But, you know, mm-hmm. I, mean, I would drive. You could find parking on the street really easily.
0: Were there yeah. dishes from that time that you remember?
2: Yeah, vividly. It's the first place I learned to make risotto. I remember making mushroom risotto with Keith on my side, um, you know, making a mushroom puree, a roasted mushroom puree that's folded into the rice uh, towards the end of it being cooked. So you had beautiful... Um, rice that was enveloped in this wonderful mushroom puree um, there's I've never been as a cook I've never been yelled at more about anything than potato puree too thick too thin too, there's lumps you know it was very rubbish on style at the time you know we would um, cook the the Yukon Golds with garlic and water and salt and then um, run them through a ricer and then pass them through a Tammy after that and then add the butter and, and, and the cream and you know just enough potato to hold the butter and cream together But <laughs> I mean it was there were the yeah it it screamed out a lot about that but like as a kid and your first cooking career is in truly that kind of environment this is before French laundry cookbook this is before any of those things that we that we all know now um, became known and to be making sauces and learning to butcher fish and all the things that we take for granted in your first experience like I mean that that's amazing right I,
1: did you feel that culinary school prepared you for that, or were you learning much more?
2: Oh, I was definitely learning much more because they were so side-by-side side each other. And mm-hmm. But I wanted the piece of paper, too. You know, I could have easily quit school and continued there and, you know, making seven fifty an hour. Um, were there and,
0: things you learned in culinary school that you didn't learn at Gordon?
2: Yes, um, and vice versa. I think in culinary school, you know, it was even though you're working in a restaurant and it's repetition, 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 in culinary school, it was, you know, in a restaurant, you were expected to know the skills and expected to have the knife work, and culinary school taught you that, right? Mm-hmm. I could dice a shell properly. I could chiffonade basil properly and, and those things because of school. And I think they both promoted teamwork, um, you know, in a slower way in culinary school than in a restaurant because uh, you're not doing 300 covers. Uh, yeah. But I think, to me... And even to this day, if somebody said, I want to do this for a living, what's your recommendation? I would recommend both. I think, you know, A, the school will help open the door for you uh, to those restaurants. But together, they give you an education that you can't get just in one place.
1: Yeah. Were there other people in that Gordon kitchen who you still work with or cross paths with today? Yeah.
2: So we had an incredible line. Jared Wentworth was a line cook next to me. Wow. Um Jared actually took a lot more beatings than anybody
0: else in our kitchen. Took a lot more beatings. Beatings. I've not never, meetings. No meetings. <laughs> no, 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 no. Definitely
2: not meetings. Jared took a lot of beatings from Keith. Uh, you know, I've never seen somebody get screamed at about where's your salt more. But um, I, think, I think it made Jared the chef that he is today. Yeah. I think I, it pushes his excellence for Michelin stars.
0: The first time I encountered Jared, I was, I didn't know, um, but I was living in Seattle after college. Oh, right. And I went to Quinn's. Yeah. And... Uh, so I didn't even know that Jared was from here. I thought he was from there.
2: I th- well, his I don't parents, know. I mean, uh, yeah, I just think didn't know he had spent any time some, here that yeah. early on. I yeah. I mean, and we would stand in class and, like, flute mushrooms standing next to each other being the only people that knew what we were doing. And he was a great cook. But, he, you know, as a young kid, like, he would shut down like a lot of people would when they yeah. screamed at. And Keith was definitely a screamer. Yeah. For sure. But, I mean, look at Jared today. I mean hard to argue with the success
1: yeah you know? that's i mean it comes up every once in a while on the pod do you think that that sort of I don't know if you call it toxic or that like you know kind of authoritative figure in the kitchen do you think that that breeds success 100 yeah you think it's kind of a necessary evil
2: yeah i mean <clears throat> i don't condone the behavior anymore mm-hmm. i don't think I, I listen i don't yell and scream at people anymore either but i think it certainly made me the person i think it well first off i think it creates a wall whether good or bad around you Mm -hmm. that you become immune to a lot of things and 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 you shouldn't take it personally and it's really to to make sure that the food is right because the guest right um and i think obviously kitchens have gone away from that Mm -hmm. television still portrays it in some ways um and i think you know as as i grow as an adult you learn there's better ways to motivate people to get mm-hmm. the end results yeah. be the same and, and have a better environment um but i think in that time in that era 100
1: probably not too different from the trading floor
2: very that's what i always correlated it yeah so it was organized chaos with yelling and screaming yeah so
0: you were shit <laughs> flying you everywhere. experience <laughs> yeah, coming yeah. In. i also think you know my take on it is that some people are more receptive to the style yeah. and mm-hmm. some people are less receptive to it. Yeah. And to be safe, we just don't do it anymore. hundred percent. Um, but to say that it's universally bad or good, is t- also tough. Like it's hard. Yeah. You, you know? can't make a we grew up statement about yeah. that. Yeah. But they, I mean, it's case know, by case. The, the general opinion today is that totally. it's not new. No, no. but it's like, I felt the same. I mean, that's kind of how I came up in the industry a little bit too. And yeah, like I don't, I have no um, no hard feelings about it. No. I understand that that's like what was being asked of me at that time to hit those standards, and that's how they did it. Right. I you mean, know, there was no alternative. No,
2: we got, I mean, we, in a typical after-work event, um, we were drinking with the chef uh, after work, and everybody was well lubricated, and <laughs> the chef started questioning some things. And I was like, all right, Keith, go after yourself, right? And he's like, excuse me? And I got up and left, and he chased me up the stairs, and we, like, started wrestling on Club (laughs) Street in front of the restaurant, you know. And then he, like, stopped for a second, and he – gave me this huge hug. He's like, man, I love you. I can't believe we just did that. I'm so sorry. Are you coming to work tomorrow? <laughs> 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 yes, of course I'm coming to work tomorrow. <laughs> uh,
0: physical confrontation. Yeah. it was that like, ended in a hug. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and he, happy ending. I
2: remember going, yeah, right? And I remember going home and going, I can't believe that just happened. But yeah, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. And I was a 24-year-old kid.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah, sometimes you need to get drunk with your boss and Uh, hash it out, you know? Yeah, Right.
2: Get it all out in the open. (laughs) On Clark Street, like on a, you know, probably Sunday night.
0: (laughs) Was that the sole physical confrontation of your career? Yeah. Besides having things thrown at me? Yeah. Yeah. How, was he also the one that threw things? he's the only one. He's (laughs) the only one.
1: God, I love him and miss him. That's a type, a thrower. Yeah. Pan, Certain I, people look for props when they're upset. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. What's, <laughs> what's closest
2: to me? What can I smash? What can I throw? You oh,
0: know? man.
2: Yeah. Lemon at the head, you know, yeah. pan flying down the line.
1: This episode is brought to you by Scofflaw Old Tom Gin, a tasty, versatile spirit. Created in Chicago in 2012, the product was born out of a need for a bespoke iteration of the Old Tom style, which is the slightly sweeter predecessor to London Dry. Skauffla Old Tom Gin carries classic notes of orange peel, juniper, and coriander while balancing on a subtle floral edge thanks to the addition of osmanthus blossoms. Its elevated proof is suitable in cocktails or unadorned. Skauffla Old Tom Gin, complete your bar. So what was the next move after Gordon? Where did you go from there?
2: So um, Keith was really good to me. Uh, And this is not like bad wife syndrome. Keith was really good to (laughs) (laughs) me.
0: Or is it? No. He introduced me
2: to a lot of people. Um, He introduced me to Michael Kornick. He introduced me to David Park, among others. And um, Keith was – I met David um, when Park Avenue Cafe opened here in Chicago. And – I was having dinner there one night, you know, as a ki- as a cook and making no money. Of course, all I did is spend my money on books and, and food. And I was, hit. Keith's like, oh, you should go to Park Avenue Cafe and check it out. And David, like, one, of the, I, I had eaten there a couple of times. David came over and he's like, hey, you know, uh, Keith told me that you're going to France for school because I was going to spend a, a period of time in France. Um, it was a, like a certificate of European studies. You know, was I, it
0: an externship through
2: Kendall or no? Well, it became an externship, but I think it was an extra way of Kendall Allow taking you to France for three weeks and getting you to spend a ton of money, mm. um, and give you some certificate that's meaningless. <laughs> uh, and so David goes, "Do you know? Do you have time after this trip to work? Do you want to stay and work?" So what do you say? Yeah, absolutely. And it was literally the time of my my externship would be. I'm like 100. percent He's like, "All right." He's like, um, "I'm going to set you up at the bakery that I worked at." Um, David's book had just come out. He talks about this bakery extensively in his cookbook, so on and so forth. He's like, I'm going to set you up. I said, okay. So I go to, I go to Paris. I go on this trip in France. I'm having a hard time getting a hold of the owner of the bakery. I go to the bakery a number of times. Like never connects, never connects. I, uh, I'm at the, I go to visit my sister. Her and her husband at the time are living in Bologna. So Mm. amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, and I called David, I'm like, dude, I'm having a really hard time here. Can, you know, can you really get a hold of this guy? Otherwise I'm gonna to have to go home. And he's like, um, I'll try one last time. Um, but if not, if I can't, how would you like to go to Gros and work there? And I rem- I was standing in my sister's apartment. I was like, uh, I don't want to go to the bakery. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, I, I don't know why, I called my answering machine from Italy. And there's a message from the owner of the bakery saying, hey, we're expecting you. We're really excited. You know, (laughs) we'll see you, whatever the date was. And I was like, I really wanted to go to Chihuahua. But okay. So yeah, so I I stayed in in Paris uh, for almost six months and and worked at a bakery. And it was, of course, a life-changing experience. Did you pick up any French? Um, My French got actually really good. The bakers that I worked with didn't speak um, English. So Mm -hmm. it was a back and forth. Um, And I took some French in high school and obviously – it was a little little later and I don't remember much of it. I could I, I can I go to France, I can order from a menu, I can order wine, I can start to have a conversation. And then it and then I forget everything. Um, last time my wife and I were in Paris we were having a drink at the bar across the street from our hotel and I order in, in everything in French and the guy starts to go. You know, and I'm like, No 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 And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry, your French is so excellent. I'm like, Yeah, it got me about wow. that far. <laughs>
1: How did the uh, real French onion soup in France compare to shrimp wok? Never had it. Oh, wow. Okay. Never had it. I was it,
2: you know, I was there f- through most of the summer, um, and it's not something that I, for some reason I didn't seek out.
1: But So were you honing your pastry skills there? Bread baking, which, of course, okay. I never did anything with. Mm. Um, I got <laughs> to do a little bit of pastry. I,
2: there's a famous um, store that has a pastry department called Fauchon. It's a fancy food store in Paris. Um, And the bakery I worked for made all the bread Mm. for Fauchon. So they're like, you want to go work work there for a couple days? And I went. So at the time, the pastry chef of Fauchon was Pierre Hermé, who's one of the greatest pastry chefs ever to live. That's
0: wild. Yeah.
2: And show up at four in the morning and go into the basement. And there's room after room. And I wanted to learn how to make eclairs and uh, macaroons. Yeah, of of course. Of course the macaroons. Right. And so I I only saw Pierre maybe four or five times in, in the few weeks that I was there, but yeah, got to make little wow. raspberry chocolate tarts in four different sizes and eclairs, you know, from the, half inch up to full size. Were there any
0: secrets that you learned there? Yeah, the
2: egg whites were disgusting. So they would they would capture all the egg whites, you know, from what they when they would crack eggs and put them in buckets back near the boiler room and just let them sit and let um, them almost age. And that al- as they age, that albumin gets tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. So it produces a great macaroon. Of course, it gets stinkier and stinkier and stinkier. Mm. Um, wow. But yeah, that I mean, but it would, just
0: that's Smell obviously bakes off
2: yeah and when you whip the whites it's like instant you know wow peaks yeah
3: like huh yeah
2: interesting how yeah. aged are that we talking that is a couple that is days a great pro tip yeah probably five days okay five wow. six days but it was warm so yeah. it would be like 10 days here you know yeah right i okay. gonna enjoy this tip yeah fermentation at its finest right
1: yeah it was really cool hmm. Yeah. Wow. fermentation the friend of the chef yep absolutely um so you also worked in italy uh, no, I didn't work. My sister and her oh. husband lived in Bologna. So
2: on weekends and stuff, I would go and hang out. Oh, or, cool. You know, because I wasn't being paid in Paris, obviously.
1: <clears throat> so I could come and go as I pleased. And were your outings informed by your tastes and yeah, culinary 100%. experience? 100
2: The first time I, you know, uh, as you know, I cooked a lot of Italian food later in my career. Yeah. When I got off the train in Bologna and, and started eating there, I was like, yep, this is it. <laughs> and I knew at some point it would become part of, of what I was doing because at the time, uh, here, contemporary, contemporary American, whatever that means, was really what was happening. Yeah. You know, little influences from here and there. And so I knew it would uh, show up later. What sure. was the
1: Italian situation back here at the time? Red sauce. Yeah, is that like Lascarola.
2: Yeah, not even. I think it was even before Las I th- And I think, and Spiaggia, you know, and not much Oh, in right, Spiaggia. You know, okay. Spiaggia at it, 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 it the really high end. Yeah. Um, but there wasn't that... What we look at is, I like to call three-star Italian like we have today, which is mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah. You know, like what Sarah does or um, what
0: that's we Monteverde. Did Mentos, I said yeah,
2: Monteverde, Sarah sorry. Grimberg. Yeah, and like what I did at Fermentos and a lot of other places and, and what we have at Cota de Volpe. Like, that didn't exist then.
1: Yeah. No. All right. So you come back stateside. Now what do I do, right? Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I, I came back. I finished school. Uh, at the
2: time, there was a new chef at uh, Gordon. His name was Don Yamauchi, who was very, very talented chef. He was the chef at Carlos and a number of other places. And so I stayed there for a little bit and I went to Park Avenue cafe, um, for a little bit. Um, and then I ended up at a restaurant called the, H- the Hudson club, um, which has become a number of things late, lastly, lay select. Oh um, yeah. and we had a hundred wines by the glass and a couvenet at the wow. bar, Um, It was designed by Jordan Moser, so it was lots and lots of painted styrofoam that looked really, really cool. (laughs) Thousand dollar table lamps. It was it it was a stunning place, and you know it was a restaurant up until about nine ten o'clock, and then it became really I I don't want to say clubby, but it became a place to see and be seen. You know, it was the height of the Bulls. Yeah, Jordan was there a ton. Pippin was there a ton. Jordan would come during the day and smoke cigars and drink porto, <laughs> uh, like it before was, a game. Yeah, or when they were traveling and we'd get delayed. It was it was crazy. It was so cool. It was such a great place to be. And I worked with a chef um, that really allowed me um, to do as I pleased. And we created really great menus and did some fun stuff. And a lot of it was probably terrible in hindsight, uh, but we experimented and, and and did really cool stuff. And then um, one night. Uh, somebody came in the kitchen, they said, hey, somebody's here to see you. I'm like, a guest? Uh, At a table? At the front door? Like, you know. Michael Jordan again? Michael Kornick. (laughs) 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 It would have been cool uh, had it been Michael Jordan. Uh, (laughs) Similar. yeah. Uh, And so I sat down with Michael, and we're we're talking, and all of a sudden I kind of get a gist of why he's there. You know, I knew him because of Keith. Hmm. Um, Our paths had crossed uh, a number of times. Uh, We didn't know each other that well, but He's like, so, I'd love to talk to you about what we're doing down the street. And I was like, okay.
1: Is that bold to go into your current
0: place of work to talk about a different opportunity? I think so. But, you know, I (laughs) I don't think Michael gets two craps about it, right? right. Would you love it if someone did that at Ballyhoo to one of your employees? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be like, I mean, you You can Instagram,
2: text them, you can text them. There's (laughs) a million ways to communicate with people now. um, And... At least do it the right way. And so I was like, sure. And I knew Michael was getting ready to open this restaurant called MK. And I knew it was, you know, Michael's background in a lot of places. But, you know, between the Boston Four Seasons and the KDK restaurants that he did here in Marche Red Light and Vivo, And uh, it was going to be an amazing restaurant. So, of course, we chatted. And um, he hired me to help open the restaurant as a sous chef.
0: And it was what was your position at Hudson Club? Sous-chef. Uh,
2: yeah, I think it was sous-chef at both.
0: Okay. Um,
2: and I remember when I, I said that I was leaving, they were like, well, you know, thank you. There could be worse places to go. You can't yeah, right. really stand in your way. Yeah, I can't blame right? you. Right. Um, and opening that restaurant, again, one of the top three experiences I've had in, in, in my career. If you think about it, um, I was a sous-chef obviously michael was the chef mindy siegel was our pastry chef it's
0: yeah pretty sweet come on
2: and i'll 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 get to mindy in a second because i i love mindy and i have the utmost respect for her in a lot of ways but and eric williams who was my prep cook at the club and eric and i did not get along because i was his boss and he didn't want to work at that time and eric was hired as a line cook, and. Eric and I figured out our relationship really quickly at MK because it was so busy yeah, and um, became very close very quickly. And I left, uh, which I'll get to shortly, too. Um, and Eric rised in the ranks in that restaurant. And then when I came back is from when I lived in Cleveland as the chef de cuisine and then later executive chef, um, Eric was a sous chef, and Eric and our relationship began a, a, a new new realm or new round and you know i wanted i really wanted eric to cook and he was not allowed to before uh because of the chefs that were there previously to me they didn't really allow him to cook if i recall correctly and what was
0: the reason just like he wasn't experienced enough in their eyes yeah or and he was the was he was the morning on. guy
2: and he was gone before service and
0: you know but but he wanted to cook on the line at night i think so Eric
2: ran the business at the time and did a great job, and that was yeah. his contribution. And hmm. I was like, great, you know this, but I want you to cook, and I want you to be a part of what we're doing because I have the maddest respect for you, right? And it and there were a lot of arguments, um, and, and Eric really participated. And obviously, after I left, um, you know, two chefs later, Eric became the chef of that restaurant, and I think the rest is history, right? I yeah. Mean, this guy is – to me, Well you go house. on to do other things in food? I <laughs> yeah, haven't yeah. followed his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, we weren't uh, just at
1: the Banquet bon Awards. Yeah, yeah, he gave a nice speech at the. Bon of Chai's. anybody
2: that deserves the recognition that I that has come across my path that I've worked with that I know, it's he's at the top of the list and what he's done for Hyde Park and our city. He's mm-hmm. one of the wisest and kindest people I've ever worked with and known, and I have such respect for him.
0: Nice. All right. And the Mindy relationship. So the Mindy relationship is a great relationship. But,
2: like, look at her career. She, at the time at MK, and even when she was at Marche and briefly at Spago, she's one of the best restaurant pastry chefs in the country. Um, Desserts at MK were, I've still to this day never had desserts that good. She then goes on and opens Mindy's Hot Chocolate and it's a full service restaurant. Was
0: she kind of, in your estimation, We've talked to her a bunch about this. Was she savant-like in that she would just kind of, like, come up with these things? There wouldn't be much, like, organizational structure, 100%. but she would just kind of, like, she just feel starts, it out. She just starts baking. That's and like, and,
2: and poof, there's a dessert sitting in yeah. front of you that's the most stunning thing and perfectly flavored you've wow. ever had in your life, right? And it's like, how'd you do that,
0: right? <laughs> Damn. And she'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. It,
2: it, it, was, it wasn't like the next time it wasn't as good. It was always as good, if not better. And uh, so she opens Hot Chocolate and Critical Success, and it's a regular restaurant. But, you know, and the desserts are very good, but the focus is on the restaurant and the home. Then Mindy gets this bright idea of, I want to be a baker. And now she's one of the best bakers in the country, you know, and <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like, how do you get, how do you hit that twice? Right. Like, and I don't think as much recognition, again, as she's gotten, like the second go around, maybe better than the first go around. That's my opinion. And, yeah. And I love it what sense. she does. I love, yeah. I, I,
0: yeah, she's the best. Yeah. So MK, hotbed for talent. Incredible hotbed for Anyone talent. Anyone else that you haven't mentioned?
2: I well, I think there was a lot of people. Mindy's were, uh, the girl that took over for Mindy um, in the pastry department after Mindy left. To open out Chocolate, Kate Newman. Um, she doesn't cook anymore, but uh, professionally, her desserts were outstanding, and it was it was a very short um, sale that she had, um, unfortunately. Not long into it, she got it. There was a terrible accident that she was involved in, and I think that really and put towards the end of, of what she did. Um, but uber uber talented, obviously Damar. Um, little, uh, you know, he was there after me, but spent a lot of time with Eric, and I think we all know what he's done. And you know, little known fact, Dave Barron and Jenner Tomaska were both line cooks at MK. Oh, wow. um, Jenner came right after I left, so I didn't get to spend any time with him. But I spent a tremendous amount of time with Dave. And, um, you know, Dave was this goofy hockey kid uh, who had a short attention span. And we, re- Eric and myself and the rest of the team, we really worked with Dave. He became an, a, an amazing cook. And then we started having him uh, do some things in the morning and butchering and sauce work and this and that. And, you know, obviously when he left, he went to True and then and the, You know, the rest is history. And like, wow. Now,
0: when you are working with a young cook is there something that is indicative of like future success that you notice i mean at this point okay
2: desire and it's not like oh my shift's at three i'm coming in at one that's not desire that's good work ethic um i think it's asking a lot of questions wanting to learn wanting to pick your brain about what you know whether it's hey where do you eat chef what books do you read tell me you know not maybe specifically how do we make this pate but that's part of it i think it's you know i believe in our business and probably in any business, it's in you. It's just how you pull it out or how somebody helps pull you out. And some people are just, you know, in, in our business to, to work. And that's the wonderful thing about our business. There's so many facets to it. But, like, for me, I notice it really quickly when somebody wants to be involved. Yeah. And, and it, you know, as, as a chef, uh, part of the job is to mentor those people and really help them get there, yeah. I think. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you want to talk to us about uh, your time with B Hospitality?
2: I knew John and Phil very well, personally. Um, when I was at MK, Phil was the AGM at Nine Steakhouse, which was one of Michael's restaurants. Um, I knew John. John actually wa- uh, wanted to be a manager at MK, and it didn't work out. Um, so did Kevin Boehm. Um hmm. And John hmm. ended up at 160 Blue. Not too bad, right? And... Um, we always we had mutual friends and you know, we'd always bump into each other and it was and it was a wonderful friendship on the outside. I remember when I was at the Witt Hotel and I got Chicago Magazine it was funny to me. I got Chicago magazine's best new chef, even though I'd been a <laughs> chef at other restaurants in the restaurant issue, uh from <laughs> Chiba Mato. And I didn't even know about it. John and Phil called me on speakerphone to congratulate me. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, it just came out. It just came out, you know. It <laughs> obviously well before serious social media time. And, and so our paths always crossed. At the time, I was uh, the corporate chef for Four Star Restaurant Group, who's, you know, still running amazing restaurants. And John reached out to me. He's like, listen, you know, we're going to make a change in Fermentos. Um, we're talking to this person. What do you think? And, you know, I would offer them advice finally john said to me one day well what about you And i was like what i was like no i'm really happy where i'm at and so on and so forth and he's like how about a cup of coffee And i was like all right these are old friends i'll have a cup of coffee um and i looked at it as i had just come off a corporate position i had a corporate position in atlanta before that it'd be fun to have one singular restaurant and really help them bring it back get there were a lot of problems um from the beginning, in a, you know, they opened the restaurant and then immediately opened Nine Steakhouse, and I think, you know, well, the mice are away. You know, people play, and then there were a lot of issues, and and they wanted some help um, putting it back together, and um, also um, a young general manager of theirs who had been with them for a long time, um, Henry Mizriki, um, who I knew very well, was running the restaurant, and um I said, yeah, let's do this. And I'll talk about fermenters first and then uh, and, and then the Bristol. Um, you know, Henry and I were had similar philosophies, and it was like, listen, we're in the business of taking care of people and feeding them and getting them to pay and getting on their way. But somewhere along the way, this restaurant lost its be nice to people and take care of them. And, and we really just, that's all we did, and obviously changed the food. But really, you can see the increase in, in sales rather quickly. And... And such, and the restaurant started to do really, really well.
1: So, it, so it wasn't a culinary issue; it was a hospitality issue. I think more so than anything,
2: mm. you know. And they, they had actually—I was the third chef. They had gone through two chefs, and when um, Stephen, who was the chef before me, um, really changed the cuisine—and probably not for the better, even though uber-talented chef—we um, brought it back to center, and and so. I think people understood what it was, mm-hmm. and we just started taking care. And it, all of a sudden, the dining room was full, 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 um, and it was great. And then um, at the time, obviously, Chris was looking to do more stuff with Boca, and the Bristol was there, so he was parting ways from the, the Bristol standpoint, and John were like, right, you want to overlook this one too? And so, of course, you say yes <laughs> again, and so, you know, as, as a— chef and partner I oversaw both of those restaurants and obviously ultimately had chef de cuisines in both places and back and forth and all that stuff and then of course the pandemic hit and
1: poof we didn't yeah. nobody knew what was going to happen I loved the Bristol it was one of my favorite restaurants it was a great restaurant yeah that um like the chocolate pudding and uh, uh nutter, nutter butters, butters. yeah mm-hmm. I would always do like so the good. lo-fi version I just get nutter butters and snack packs at home <laughs> But it was so good <laughs> it with, with good. olive oil on it, yeah, <laughs> it was not sea salt. So good. Okay. I mean,
3: listen, <laughs>
2: That's smart that, and you know the gooey cake, right? Mm-hmm. Like to die for.
1: Yeah, yeah. So who who worked at uh, Bristol with you that went on to acclaim? Um, uh, so restaurants.
0: Not a lot. I mean, it's pretty recent,
2: but.
1: Um, one of my
2: f- more favorite people in, in the world um, is Adam Weiner, who – Adam is at um, – Bracero Miami, and right? Jay. Yep. And Adam, again, was this young kid that was wild and all over the place, you know, like one of those wacky wall things. <laughs> <laughs> and I really, wacky wall. And, and, but Adam wanted to learn. He had come from Gibson's where, you know, it's a steakhouse, and, but he wanted to cook and he wanted to learn about food. And Chef, can I ask you a question? Chef, can I ask you a question? Chef, can I ask you a question? And obviously um, – It really worked out for him. You know, the kid had a deft hand with pasta, was uber-creative, obviously sometimes a little too much. Um, And I remember when John called me, he's like, hey, listen, I'm talking to this kid, Adam, what do you think? I'm like, if you don't hire him, you're stupid. Mm -hmm. Right. And I worked out for both of them, but
0: yeah, it's been a great relationship so far.
1: Yeah. Really good. Such a good kid. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought him up because I texted Mannion this morning. I was like, we have Todd (laughs) coming into the pod today. Do you have any questions for him? He's like, let me ask Adam. And uh, Adam's response was uh, they could ask him about the new year's Eve service of 2017 to 2018 it was one of the worst services of all time. Yeah.
0: It's all, it's shaking. So there's no, only, there's o- there's only one that I've
2: had worse, and, and that was in Atlanta, and that was a Mother's Day brunch, and that's, like, the day we don't talk about. <laughs> Can we uh, hear uh, about we'll both? Hear, yeah, let's hear about both. So, <laughs> yeah. okay. Well, in Atlanta, it was Mother's Day, <laughs> and this was a restaurant called Two – Is still there. It's called Two Urban Lakes. We would do a thousand covers on Friday and Saturday night. The place is massive, live fire, like – Unreal, right? And Mother's Day, it was like, we didn't think we would do that much. And all of a sudden, the books get, you know, and people are coming in and it's brunch and it's a special menu and we're not open for brunch so we don't have practice. Oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, and it was just, it was, yeah. It was, it was. I remember uh, Michael, who was my chef cuisine, who I'm still very close to, just put his head down at the pass. There was no crying, but it was just, <laughs> just like, I just coffee. don't yeah. know what to do. I yeah. can't get a pancake. Yeah. And, um, it was crazy. So, the Bristol night, I wasn't actually there for the entire service because I was at Fermento's um, dealing with that. But when I got there, it was just exact. I can't believe Anna brought that up <laughs> that he wants to actually talk about. It yeah. it was chaos and, you know, everything shut down. And, you know, I, I, again, I think when you when you take a restaurant that that has a style of service that it does ev- it. every other day and you do something completely new, nobody's ready for it. Right. And you yeah. don't practice it because you can't. And yeah tasting menu and
1: poof in my mind like the special event menus i always think it's easy because it's limited but you don't realize that it's not it's practiced twice as hard yeah
2: and the servers don't know how to practice that kind of service yeah and the timing's off and you know that kitchen's tiny and it's just it, it shut down and again it was the end of the night when that was over i was there at the end and it was just like man we failed and i was like no we didn't fail we learned a lot we learned a lot of lessons and we're going to be better next year
0: Besides, like, being in the weeds, what do you think made that night stand out to Adam? Uh, <laughs> we'll have to get his perspective. Yeah, I'm curious. No, I mean, <laughs> why you, like, um, yeah.
2: I think it was poor choice in
0: menu. Like, way too hard stuff to execute. Right? Yeah. So it was just that they were, like, many orders behind and the coordination was off. Yes. There wasn't, like, something unique And there probably wasn't enough hands. It wasn't, like, a toilet exploded No, or no, or no, no, no. <laughs>
2: there was no fires. There was no natural disasters. Okay. It, was,
0: it was just, you know... So with with that crap night, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've all been through those. Yeah. Oh yeah, plenty. I haven't. <laughs> you're lucky. So <laughs> um, you can't nightmares. believe yeah. that it's happening. You can't. It's like, how could this? And happen? And you also think it's never going to end, <laughs> right? No, no. Like no, even the, though, the, like logically, you could say it, time. Yeah, no.
1: The, I mean, the tape just keeps yeah, going. It just, the, you just know. feels
0: like. You're yeah, trapped. you don't
1: have. You can't stop and think about. it. That's how I treat like moving. When you have to move, it's always a disaster. And it's just yeah. like keep your head down and just one box at a time. Yeah. Hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. So and, with uh, with Valentine's Day yeah. coming up, that's another yeah example of the fixed menu. How do you guys prepare from that for that now?
2: Now, so I've always, after a number of bad nights in, mm-hmm. uh, in in restaurants, I've always come to the conclusion that if you want to keep the style of service that you're doing, the best way to handle it is to have continue with your regular menu and have great specials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for us, like we, on the North Shore, we have two steakhouses. So that's a, a completely different style of experience no matter what, right? People go to a steakhouse, they don't want a tasting menu. They want their c- creature comforts. Right. Um, so when I first uh, actually started, we did tasting menus uh, for the holidays. And
1: we at, at Ballyhoo now? At Ballyhoo, yeah. Okay. And we've switched. Do you want to talk about how that opportunity yeah. came about first and then we can um, get into Yeah. Okay.
2: Um, so after... Um, My time with Hospitality, I took another corporate position. Um, I was a corporate executive chef for a massive um, hotel management company. Um, We managed, owned, and operated when I started 47 hotels and when I left well into the 80s. Whoa. What Mm. company is that? It's called Davidson Hospitality. Okay. Um, One of the best groups of people I've ever worked with in my entire career. My team um most of them uh, except one are still there Uh, my boss greg griffey who's a senior vice president of food and beverage for the company is is one of the best people i've ever worked with um and bill hansen who was my front of the house sidekick in all of it is one is one of my good friends still to this day and again one of the best people i worked with um and my chef team, I had two two guys underneath me, uh, Andres Bustamante, who was uh, a talented chef for our company who really understood the banquet side and the business side of it. We operated the Thompson Hotel here for a long time until it was sold. And our chef at Nico was Tim Graham, who's yep. an amazing chef. Um, when the hotel was sold and we backed out, uh, we brought Tim and onto our team. And so now I had an amazing team of Business and in extreme culinary talent and a, a slew of other people. Um, and so we, t- whether we took over a hotel, we had a hotel, we were building new hotels, concepts, we were de- developing concepts left and right. And I was on a plane very often, uh, almost every week, Tuesday, home Thursday, uh, traveling, seeing the country, um, seeing a lot, learning a lot. It was one of the best jobs I've ever had mm-hmm. on a learning standpoint and people standpoint. And I think you get a few of those in your career, right? Um, and the travel was starting to drag a little bit. I felt towards the end, because we were growing so massively, that sometimes I was really getting on a plane just for the sake of getting on a plane yeah. to build relationships so we could, like a lawyer, we could build dollars back to a hotel.
1: Yeah. Kind oh. of an antiquated practice now since yeah. COVID. No, this was during COVID. Oh really? Yeah. This was I mean I feel like all superfluous travel's been cut out. No. Well I mean, he had to like interface with the
0: team. Yeah. Right, oh yeah. I mean, the menu still execution. Still to
2: this the day in that yeah. position in that company. Oh yeah. I remember the first time I traveled, it was in January of twenty when did the pandemic start? Twenty one? Twenty twenty. So in twenty one. I remember getting on a plane in January. And walking through O'Hare, and you could shoot a cannon down the yeah. gates, you know? Right? That was pre-vaccine. Yeah. Oh, it's the best. There was nobody on the plane. <laughs> it, it was so good. And I remember it was like I would go into the American Airlines Club just so I could take off my mask so I could have a drink, <laughs> yeah. you know, a glass of water or something. <laughs> it yeah. was it was amazing, and it was it was an incredible experience. But I think the travel was really starting to drag a little bit. And it's you know, being a road warrior isn't for everybody. I enjoyed it. I loved it. I would do it again under the right circumstances with better rules for myself. I wasn't. I, I wouldn't say it was. The healthiest was doing it. You know, I, I lost a ton of weight before. I exercised a lot. You know, we have Peloton treadmill and bike in our house. It changed my life. And so I probably wasn't doing things the most healthiest. And um, Belly, who reached out and approached me um, about the opportunity that I currently have, and I remember having my first conversation um, with John Farr, who's the president and CEO of the company. I was in Hawaii for work at a hotel that we had there with the time change it was the sun was coming up and i was standing outside looking at the beach having this conversation with john about the idea of coming to work with them and uh obviously it it, it came to fruition and and uh in my mind i was like all right you know going from 80 plus hotels to seven or eight restaurants cakewalk yeah um,
0: how much notice do you give uh, a, I, a giant six, group like i gave
2: i think i gave six weeks four weeks or six weeks something like that
0: yeah do all your employees give you six weeks danny (laughs) i wish uh yeah (laughs) what's like you know generally the standard is like you want to give at least two weeks yeah Yeah. but in our business people give far less Mm -hmm. it's pretty rare that you get more i would
2: Mm -hmm. say i remember i said to greg i'm like listen here's the opportunity and he's like is this something you want us to counter Mm. and i was like no um and he's like okay And I said, listen, tell me what you want. I know we had a number of projects that needed to be closed up and I'll work with these guys and we'll figure it out. And so that's what it was.
1: That's cool. That's the best way to handle it. Yeah. yeah. I
2: can't.
0: Was there a second where you're like, hmm, should I have asked for just double? Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. Always, right? In hindsight, no, was go tired on, of the did. lifestyle. Yeah. 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 It was, it Yeah. Was, looking it, up at that sunrise in Hawaii is pretty tough.
2: Yeah. That, <laughs> I mean, and that was one of my, towards the, like the end a one Pina of my a last, on hand. Trip, being there five for in the morning. Yeah. vacation's very different. Yeah. Um, my last trip was in Minneapolis and it wasn't snowy, but yeah. yeah, in between. But yeah, no, I mean, no, I think I made the right decision. There's no doubt about it. Obviously, you know, coming to Ballyhoo and uh, incredible growth. Yeah. Um, And being a part of that, like how do you, it's hard to resist that for me, the best thing, you know, and the food is uh, is always a part of what I do, but being able to guide and lead and teach people and help grow. And that's, that's what I love. That's what gets me going. The food, like I've done that long enough.
0: Yeah. So you've overseen a lot of teams. You currently oversee a lot of places. Yeah. What are your hiring practices? How do you find culinary talent? I've been
2: very fortunate that we haven't had a lot of chef turnover in the time that I've been here, which is a year and a half. Um, You know, I really try to get to know the person more. Um, I I do like to ask some, you know, questions about how they lead and how they discipline and how they guide. And, you know, I ask stupid questions like, what kind of mayonnaise do you like? Or what kind of... laundry detergent do you use at home just to get a gist of what they are I think the well what are your favorite three cookbooks and you know <laughs> like okay that that's great but I you know if I know your background well enough it allows me to create questions um, that I that I want to know a little more and it's really more about your your leading and your guiding and your business practices than it is the cooking we'll get to the cooking shortly and in our restaurants you know Ryan and myself create a lot of the food um, and so it's not 100% chef creative output you know, they're most certainly a part of what we do and, and obviously have a lot of say, but we create the idea of what we where we want to go and and Ryan's a huge part of that, um, in the best possible way. And um, you guys should actually have a conversation with Ryan. I think it'd be a great interview. Yeah, we've talked about it. Yeah. I'd like to have him on. Yeah, he's his story is it's amazing. It's amazing. It's it's inspiring. Um, but anyways, so yeah, you know, I, I try to get to the heart of it. And I think with anything, one of the strengths that I've had during my career is really getting to understand people so they buy into what I, I want to teach. Um, and if you understand them first, you know, then it, it makes it easier. I should have taught psychology, but uh, <laughs> but it, that that seems to have always worked for me. It's like, all right, I need to know you first, and then we'll get to the other. And when I know you, we'll get to the other stuff, and you'll and you'll generally buy in.
1: Is there? Would you want to? Do you look for a chef who's going to execute the task at hand? Like not necessarily a creative yeah. chef, like somebody looking to make a name for himself. Yeah. You know. Well, in, in I this guess, role, what's the like with a, yeah. you know, I in know this know.
2: role in our restaurants, yeah, because that's not what our restaurants are right. truly about. They're about amazing food, incredible setting, and ridiculous hospitality, right? Um, and I think we do it better than most. We with Davidson, we did a. Uh, Restaurant in a hotel in Snowmass, another beautiful place to be. Yeah. Um, and ownership wanted um, a sodacoff restaurant. Oh yeah. Which Brendan doesn't really do. And in a roundabout way, it got done. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and so we managed the hotel and we managed food and beverage, and they had purchased these ideas. And uh, I was talking with the people that were helping us. Um, how because this person used to work for Salt. how they create these Hogsalt restaurants that as a consumer and as an industry person like they nail it right out of the gate every time mm-hmm. like it's rare I never see it and how they hire a chef and one of the things we were talking about about hiring chefs is they're very honest and they're like listen this is what we do this is the menu we have this is how we operate if you want to be a part of it great we'll, we'll move forward in conversations then they stage the person um, and then they ask the person to cook dishes from that menu that, that currently exists in the restaurant. And then they, when, when they get even closer, they're like, all right, so, you know, this is, we understand each other. And maybe if after some point it all works, w- you want to start presenting things that may make a special or may end, ultimately end up on the menu. We can talk about that then, but this is how we operate. And it's really strict. Um, but I think, and yeah, it's smart. It's very smart. You can't it's, argue with the results. Yeah, it saves no. a lot of
0: heartbreak later on. No. When they're like, I thought I was going to be a creative contributor. Yeah. Right. And they're like, Transparency. What? And,
2: you know, and that's not for everybody, but, like, I, I've i never had a mediocre meal in any Satakov restaurant, right? No, it's outstanding every and, time. And, you know, when you order a daiquiri at one, it tastes exactly the same at the next. It's, it, I mean, they, they're so dialed in. They're very yeah. dialed, right? And then you look at the restaurant in Paris they just opened, and it's like, I need to get on a plane. <laughs> I need to go see <laughs> yeah. it, right? It's, it's amazing. I so mean, I, is that
0: the group that you guys kind of look up to as Ballyhoo? I think in
2: some ways, of course. Obviously, we're, what we do is different than they do. They're going to be neighbors of, of ours in Wilmette. They're opening a small cheval across from Sofia. So we're excited for that. Nice. Um, you know, I I think we look up to a lot of people. I th- you know, I, I think the great thing about our city is you have them, you have – you know, Robin, Kevin, you have one of you have these great restaurant groups that really don't exist in a lot of other cities. And because everybody's so genial here, you know, you really get to pick other people's brains and be a part of it as a community together. And so to say that's who we look up to. Sure. I, I would say I do. You know, I can't speak for Ryan or anybody else. But like, are they one of them? A hundred percent. Yeah. Right? What are
0: some unique practices um, that Ballyhoo kind of uh, executes, I guess, or carries?
2: Well, I mean. We start with the people and that includes our staff and, and obviously the guests and we're very guest focused, you know, and, and we install that into our staff, right? Not in a negative way of like guest first, guest first, but we're, our job is to make sure that we're flying at the the highest level we can to ensure, you know, and that's in systems and that's in the way we buy and the, the people we hire and all of those things. But when, you know, when you go to one of our restaurants, you're having a good time, um, it's in a beautiful space. The food's great. And you're getting really, really good service. And, you know, and I think because of that, people don't mind paying to have an experience like that. And, and I don't think we're that mo- any more expensive than anybody else. But it, it transcends itself into every restaurant. You know, we just opened to this summer in a, an Italian restaurant across from Gemini. And, like, right out of the gate, same service, right? So that means we're training well. Mm-hmm. And that's really important.
0: Is it easier to hire a team in the city or in the burbs? I'm stuck on that one. Um, I think,
2: you know, I think the pool is bigger down here.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I, I think in the suburbs, it's equally as good, even though it's smaller. Um, you know, the first restaurant I opened with Ballyhoo was, we repeated Sophia Steak, uh, which was in moment we opened in Lake Forest. A lot of our staff was hired well before months, like nine, six, eight, nine months before um, and we opened the restaurant. It's the easiest restaurant opening I've ever participated in, and I couldn't believe it, right? Hmm. Um, and I think it's really, you know, and this is obviously before I was really a part of the company, really getting people to buy in, right, um, and having things dialed in and trial and training. And, you know, we taste food every day, and we look at food um, in the kitchen, and we look at food with the staff, and we really take the time to pick who we buy things from. You know, I'll say – I've never experienced this anywhere. We most of our meat um, at the steakhouses come from a small company um, that maybe a lot of people don't know called L and L Packing. They've been around forever. The consistency in our steaks is unbelievable compared to any other meat provider ever used. Um, and we use somebody else for dry age, and we buy wagyu from somebody else after that. Um, but L and L, man, like so, you're coming to a steakhouse, and 99.9 percent of the time, you're getting a perfectly cooked steak, right? Mm. It's it's unbelievable. So we're really careful in, in all the aspects of how we build everything so that we ensure quality.
1: Are there other things that differentiate the city restaurants from the suburban restaurants? Like we, we had RJ Melman in, and we asked him the same question. He said, well, there's a narrower window for people to eat out in the burbs, yeah. so you need to have more seating for the busy times. 100%. Yeah, are there any other things like you know, that that stand well, out? Well, Yeah,
2: like Lake Forest, When the, you know when the sky starts to turn dark, we're done. Um, they're very mm-hmm. early diners, and they don't go
1: late. Um, it's a dark town. Yeah,
2: right. I mean, the, the you know the the street lamps are like on full blast. You can hardly see. Yeah, we can't um, have street lamps on campus, r- right? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, and I remember as a kid when they were actually gas. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Um, and in Winnetka, at Pomeroy, it goes much later, and people you know people like to hang at the bar and drink and eat. Um, Pomeroy is such a pretty space. It's magic. You perfect. walk in, thank you. Um, you walk in there, and it feels like you're in a, you know, in in a place that you're supposed to be. It's like, it's, it's amazing. Even uh, on a bad, day, like if I'm having a bad day and I walk in there, it all goes away. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah it's, have you
0: been magical? I haven't been yet. Oh, you need to come up. Yeah, we should yeah. do it together. I would it, like that. Yeah, Come on up. Let me know. <laughs> Consider it's, yourself it's, invited. <laughs> yeah,
1: done. It's I a really valuable gift show. card I need to spend, so that's where I'm taking it. Perfect. Oh yeah.
2: Um, and then in in WMAT, you know, at Sophia and at Bucks, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, it doesn't go as late as Winnetka, hmm. but close. It's interesting know. to know. Yeah. The nice thing about Womad is a lot of people that dine with us live in the area, too, and you can walk.
1: Yeah, that know, is nice. Uh, on a nice night. <laughs> yeah. You know, um,
2: so, yeah. So I I cut off
1: the uh, Valentine's Day thing. So what are you guys doing for Valentine's Day? So for Valentine's
2: Day, we're running uh, our regular menus um, with specials added to them. And, you know, we go through a whole process of um, where we create the menu and then we cook the menu. And then we run them all as um, specials for a lot of days leading up to the holidays. So both the front and the back are are dialed in and understand it. Because, again, it's a a whole new thing of, wait, why do we have six specials all of a sudden? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then in the burbs, I assume more kids coming into restaurants too.
2: Some. Um, Lake Forest, a lot of kids. Usually it's earlier on both. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing about all of our restaurants is especially on the North Shore to-go business is unbelievable. Oh, like,
1: nice. Huge. That makes sense.
2: And so you'll get a lot of kid-friendly stuff there too. And, you know, we don't, quote, have a kid's menu, but we do have a kid's menu. And, you know, our chicken fingers are hand cut and we bread them and fry them. (laughs) And, you know, as much as a U.S. Foods or Cisco chicken fingers delicious, ours are even better Um, and and such. So we we like to appeal to kids because we are in family centric neighborhoods and they're a part of the program. Right. You know, we want you to bring your kids and not leave them at home with a babysitter.
1: Yeah, totally. Unless you don't want to. but Yeah. Danny, do you take
0: your kids to eat? Uh, yeah. Occasionally. And? Depends. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Depends where you're going or how yeah. they're acting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, do
1: they, do you run into issues like menu items? Cause you've talked about your kids being picky eaters.
0: That's oh, are they yeah. They're in a picky phase now. Really? Yeah. How old are they? Uh, six and three. Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, are you saying, is the question whether we run into issues like finding stuff for them to eat on the menus? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, there's always like something that you can, you know, Ruby's a little bit more adventurous. That's just the phase. Yeah, exactly. It seems like kids, um, their, uh, do you have kids? Sir? No. Okay. We have dogs. <laughs> Me yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: we, we, it seems like there is a phase where kids are like kids learn to be picky eaters. I think does so. that seem
0: right to you? Yeah. I mean, certainly no one thinks that they uh, facilitate the pickiness. Um, but I think just over time. Yeah, maybe it just becomes easier. You don't wanna have a fight.
1: Yeah. I remember talking about it with Manny he's like he's like, Yeah, like May May will eat anything. Yeah. Then Max is like
0: getting picky. Yeah. I
1: think you go through like the adventure phase, and then you maybe learn more about where it comes from, or something that
0: might scare people. Yeah, I, don't I think know. you just also can't like put too much pressure on it. You just got to keep exposing them to new stuff well, all the time, yeah. and at some point, they're gonna their curiosity will get the best of them, and that, they'll be like, "Oh, this is actually pretty delicious."
2: That's true. That's what my my parents did. My mom was very much, "Hey, if you don't like it, there's always peanut butter." <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, and yeah, I that's I, kind I, of where I'm at. It's like, yeah, we'll make you like this, yeah, you know, but you're gonna eat pickles and cheese, yeah. Whatever. And I think
2: I, I I've said this a lot of times, but I truly believe in 18 years there are only two. Bad meals. I think that's a really good track record. One of which I love today. Uh, my mom made a uh, green tomato pie, so like a you know a southern tomato huh. pie, but did it with uh, green tomatoes. And my sister and I were little, and we're like, eh, "Green tomatoes, gross!"
0: That's amazing that in only two bad meals in eighteen uh, years. Yeah. I mean, seriously, your parents I mean, must be very talented. My mom, yeah, because
2: okay. my, my mom did most of the cooking, uh and my dad was great at frying, f- grilling fish, and, or grilling and and cooking fish. And the other one was my mom made a. Uh, Frugal gourmet recipe of um, chicken livers in a wok, I think over pasta, and the wok wasn't hot enough, and the chicken livers didn't get seared.
0: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) sounds gnarly. Yeah, it does. It was like runny chicken livers, (laughs) right? It was gross.
2: But like two Uh, and you know in eighteen years,
1: God, the the tomato pie at Bang Bang is amazing. I've never had it. Always keep one in your freezer. It is awesome. We have a
2: French version at Pomeroy. It's a, it's a tomato and cheese tart. Oh,
0: all right. With
2: nice. With, yeah, it's oh, it's worth the trip.
1: It's good.
0: All right, Tim, should we hit him with the gratuity round? Let's hit him with the gratuity round.
1: Roll them. All right, before we get to it, you mentioned what kind of mayo you ask people. What kind of mayo are you keeping in your fridge at home?
2: Well, it's Hellman's. Yeah. Yeah. I grew up with it, and I'm not disparaging coupe. Or, um, Dukes or Dukes, because Dukes. Dukes is I a newer Dukes one. Also. Dukes is a newer one, right? Yeah. Um, Miracle Whip is not a mayonnaise. It's a salad dressing. So I grew up
1: with that. Disgusting. And I'm not going back. No, it's gross. It's gross. I'm a Hellman's <laughs> yeah. guy. When I lived in
2: Vegas, um, I was going through the grocery store, and I saw Hellman's, even though it wasn't called Hellman's, it was Best Foods mayonnaise. Yeah. Same label, everything. And I was like, oh, West Coast. Yeah. That's <laughs> how they do it. But yeah, Hellman's. <laughs>
1: This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic, from fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. All right, now onto the real questions. What's your death row meal?
2: So death row means that I did something terrible and I'm going to get executed,
1: right? Or you were framed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
2: so I, I think it's a number of things in um, no particular order. Um, definitely an amazing cheeseburger and fries. Um, a whole roasted turbo or Dover sole. Where is mm. this
0: amazing cheeseburger and fries coming from? I don't care. And. Okay. Uh, um doesn't have to be a particular place. Uh, What's the one you've had the most in Chicagoland area?
2: Besides uh, Ballyhoo? Yeah. Ooh, that's the Beinlich's.
1: I love Charlie <laughs> Yeah, I'm so trying to good. go there all so the time. It's so Sh- good. Shrimp cocktail and a burger. Uh, right?
2: Oh, so good. It's not, it's not far from my house. It's funny. Um, you guys know Max Robbins? Max is a culinary director for Lettuce and oversees a, b- a bunch of the okay, restaurants yeah. and did the Oakville and yep, stuff. Yep. And before that, he was um, at Soho House and um, a bunch of other places. Max is one of my good friends, and we try to dine out late on Friday nights. Uh, the other restaurant will come up, I'm sure, in another question, but Violinx is one of our restaurants, because he lives in Northfield, and I live in Womatt, and so we meet there. It's just so good. It is. You can't build mm. a restaurant
1: like that yeah. anymore. and you can't a find uh, fish taxidermy like that nope. anymore. <laughs> so good. <laughs> yeah, that is is a gem.
2: So anyways, the Turbo, the cheeseburger, probably an incredible bottle of wine, um, depending on the time of year, you know. Um I, I love wine and I would probably start with a Chablis and then move into some burg uh some red burgundy after that. Um finish with a great um glass of uh Willet uh okay. and uh maybe an ice cream sundae. Mm. very nice. Excellent. Caramel caramel and chocolate sauce. I love yep.
1: caramel. Yeah. Maxwell's trading has a oh, great so turbo good. on the menu.
2: I had a great meal there a couple of weeks ago. Like weeks after they open 10 days after they yeah it's outstanding it's gonna be even better like the hits were way more than the misses i'm so proud of what erling's doing there it's gonna be it's gonna be a great restaurant it already is
1: yeah all right uh now we can hit the other one i'm guessing you have a good hidden gem restaurant okay
2: yes so hidden hidden gem means a number of things to me it either means it's something that not a lot of people know about or small and far away
1: Yes. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's a nice assessment. So
2: I there's a um, – oh, my God, I just dropped a link. There's uh, a supper club just over the border in um,
1: – Is it in Wisconsin?
2: That we go to, and I can't believe I can't
1: remember. Is it that. in Kenosha? Yeah. I know exactly what you're talking um, about, and I can't think of the name either.
2: It's actually Racine.
1: Hold okay. On.
2: My wife's going to kill me um, <laughs> for, for missing this. Uh, the hobnob,
1: hobnob. Yep, it's on my list of supper clubs. I have a Google Map list. It's
2: amazing. You ke- again,
1: you can't build a restaurant like
2: this today, and you sit mm-hmm. there, and, you, you know, stiff drinks and great supper club food and prime rib and all this stuff, and you're looking at it at the lake. It's pretty yep. special. And, great setting. Yeah, and and we've gone there uh, a number of times. Um, Let's. I think I've only been there three or four times, but
1: it's, you can't like manufacture the vibe of a supper club, no, or a dive bar. But best intentions did it somehow. I haven't been. Oh man, just won the Bonchay award. For yeah, him. I know. Best
2: bar. Haven't been.
1: bar of the year. Uh, yeah, they like they captured that like cozy dive bar feeling.
2: Nice. And then another one um, that's really close to home, that, uh, another restaurant that I go to with Max a lot, um, is EJ's, and it's packed all the time. But I still think like chefs don't go there, right? It's not a talked about restaurant. But it's so perfectly. There's no better lamb chop in the city of Chicago or the suburbs. It's just such a great restaurant.
1: EJ's. I feel like that's come up on yeah, the pod, it but it's not that. on our list of <laughs> hidden gems. So. It's so good. What's the order?
2: So we either start with, um, well, it's always grilled calamari because their grilled calamari is insane. They throw it under the broiler. Um, then we either have clams or oysters, raw oysters, cooked clams. Um, generally, then they do this... Um, coleslaw salad as they call it it's shredded cabbage and it's got avocado and and, um, bacon and you know all kinds of good stuff in it right it's almost a garbage salad and then (laughs) um, uh, lamb chops usually colorado lamb chops broiled lemon olive oil herbs and then if we're really hungry we'll throw in a dover sole or you know uh, linguine clam Mm.
1: it's so good nice that's in skokie yeah it's
2: like in skokie
1: cool across from the mall perfect
2: it's like five blocks from my house nice yeah and great drinks
1: all right favorite fast food
2: so it's hard to beat the number one classic of McDonald's and I, I know you guys talk about this all the time there are McDonald's that are better than other McDonald's yeah. so the one as we all know is truly the best McDonald's um, a couple of years ago m- when we were getting our our dog our breeder is in outside of Indianapolis and so on the way down we stopped at I mean we were going to visit the dog before we actually were able to
1: take sure it home. yeah Gotta so make we sure stopped, you vibe
2: yep so we stop at a McDonald's um, in Indiana, and I, I don't remember exactly where I have it written down at home. And it was like, wow. My wife was like, man, we it nailed it on that one. It was like perfect. So fast forward <laughs> a couple months later when we go to pick up the dog, we stop there again, and it hit again. Okay. Wow. It's, it's not far from where um, uh, Fair Life Milk is. Okay, yeah. So good. Um, but McDonald's is like a classic, and I think it's in a category all, all on its own the other two that are really
0: hard for me to be. And you're getting the Big Mac there. You said the number 1 or what? No.
2: I don't I'm not a Big I'm a two cheeseburger or oh, a double right. cheeseburger fries I thought, and, right. and a I beverage you said and number
0: one. sometimes
2: uh throw in some nuggets. But the best sauce for nuggets is uh hot uh, the hot mustard which is hard to find. It's not in Illinois. Yeah. yeah. It's the best sauce posted about I'm, that yeah, or the the mentioned it his interview. Yeah. yeah, you can't get it. in Michigan, Ohio, other states. Yeah, what gives? I don't know this is the home of mcdonald's i know give us the mustard it's the best <laughs> um but after that like culver's is hard to beat yeah and, yeah, yeah. and i'm a taco bell fan mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then every once maybe a year i is is arby's i mean yeah yeah love those
0: love it yeah beef and cheddar
2: beef and cheddar or giant sandwich and potato cakes
1: giant sandwich is that yeah, just, oh that's the really big, big, one. big one yeah, yeah right, with horsey right, right. sauce yeah, so <laughs> I love uh, that stuff. <laughs> I think that I I think that fast food is better outside of the city. Yeah, like agreed. When I go home, it's it just it's different. It's different. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: McDonald's around the corner. Oof.
1: You know what though? <laughs> yeah, the one on Lake. Yeah, yeah. it. I had it. I uh, think I had the it earlier this prize. week, and it was it hit. It was perfect. So good. And, uh, Do you get
0: the unsalted fries and then salt them yourself? Yeah, well, someone was saying that they the fries there have been inconsistent.
1: Really? Uh, oh yeah, I heard that. Uh, yeah, the fri- yeah, the fries were good this week, um, maybe a little undersalted, but that's an easy <laughs> remedy.
2: Yeah, there's this. Somebody posted a bunch of people posted like all these hacks you can order at McDonald's oh, yeah. so you ensure freshly cooked food for yourself. Yeah, that is one to get yeah. it to ask for them unsalted Salted, and then and salt then them yourself because that ensures <laughs> that they're going to make it <laughs> fresh for yeah. you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So if you want to be a gigantic pain in the ass. Totally. Yeah. Okay. Um, what's your least favorite food?
2: I'm not into a lot of offal
1: like, Okay.
2: I, I like sweetbreads, Um, but like, I think a lot of offal it's like you're trained to try it or as, as a culinary and you're trained to try to eat it, like to be cool. Like who needs to eat intestine? Like really? I mean, and some of it's good, but like, eh, I don't need to eat brains. Like I'm not into that stuff. Um, it's never really uh, – I've tried it, but, like, kidneys, no, absolutely not. Yeah. yeah. But sweetbreads are the only one.
1: Yeah, I'm not eating a ton of organs these days. Yeah. Danny, you organ Same. guy? Ditto. Ditto. <laughs> yeah. It's like All a right. challenge meal. Yeah. <laughs> eat these. Exactly. Yeah, it's but, like how ballsy are you, but yeah. it's very I, seldom enjoyable. I don't need to
2: eat, you know, snake, snake venom I don't, or, you know, snake liquor. Like, oh, that's nah. –
1: that. Yeah, Andrew Zimmer and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, definitely. Like, come on, man, real it in. You. No, yeah. <laughs> uh, favorite cocktail. So I'm weird about
2: a lot of things in my life. It's time and place come into a lot. Um, I was never a martini person until about three and a half years ago. And my buddy Bill, who I mentioned before, um, we would go out to eat, and he had this. He's like, "Let's have a martini and ease into our evening." And and I really love that idea of easing into your evening, and so I, I love gin martinis, dirty and really cold. Yeah. Um, but I also think the Negroni is the perfect cocktail. Obviously, it's the perfect recipe, um, and and a daiquiri. So like time and place for really for me. But like, I haven't I haven't had a drink in a month. I do dry January every year. I think yep. this was my tenth. Hmm. Um, so like maybe I'll have a martini tonight. You do know? you notice a market
0: it- difference at the end of the month?
2: Yeah. So about this, – this year was one of the first where it was – I didn't crave much. I cra- we, when we were at Maxwell's Traveling, I'm like, God, a glass of wine would be great. But, um, and I usually craze, crave booze. Um, obviously, my sleep is way better. Um, and I don't drink a ton. But I, I, I think I'm much sharper. For sure, I definitely notice a difference. And usually, I'm like, "Oh, I could do this if you know forever if I had to." A and I and I believe that. Or it's like, "Let's do another month and see." And I never do the other month and see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Last time I was at Maxwell's training, I was talking to Erling. and he's like, "I hate try January." Oh yeah! Oh, he was
2: so <laughs> pissed. He yeah. was there. He's like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, dude, he's sales. going through the wine list. I'm like, sorry, dude, none of us are drinking.
3: That's <laughs> four of us. Sorry,
2: uh-huh. man
1: all right here's our cameo question from instagram um this is actually requested by multiple people so i won't i won't tag one one okay. uh, person out but they said what's your go-to meal to cook at home it's really basic that's okay uh, we
2: eat a lot it's slow roasted salmon i like to cook it in like a 350 400 degree oven so i can do other stuff while i'm cooking the salmon um salt and pepper maybe pepper sometimes um generally cook a little more Then my wife and I will eat just so that one of our dogs loves salmon so she can have some in her bowl. Um, (laughs) And she will sit there and wait. And the other dog is not into salmon. Not into it at all. Doesn't (laughs) care. She Lucy's uh, five. I think she's going to be six this year. And Murray's about two. Uh, And uh, he could... That doesn't care, and she sits there and waits. And then it's like, Lucy, you want some salmon? And she gets up and follows you to our bowl. So salmon and broccolini, and the broccolini is blanched and sautéed uh, with garlic and chili flakes and lemon. And we eat it a lot. And it's simple and it's delicious and simple, it's simple, healthy, healthy. delicious. We, yeah. Yeah.
0: we did that last night. Yeah, the old salmon. Yeah, where'd you get your do? salmon, Danny? Uh, we just got like some uh, the Atlantic barbecue cut salmon fillets from Trader Joe's. Okay, um, nothing wrong just, with yeah. that. He's and a TJ's then, guy. Yeah, we I do like TJ's. a pan roast, yeah. like just. You know, butter.
2: Yeah. I throw you it know. on a sizzle plate and throw it super in the oven.
0: It's super easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have, like, broccoli with it and potatoes. Yeah. What
1: do your dogs eat normally?
2: Uh, they have kibble. But Lu- um, Lucy, our girl dog, is very particular. We At one point when, she, when it was just her and she was young, uh, my wife bought these toppers to put on oh, yeah. chicken and salmon and stuff. And so she won't eat unless the three different toppings are sprinkled on her food. And then she'll eat a little bit of it, and then stand there and beg for more. It's like yeah. you're going to get hungry enough; you're going to want to eat. So
1: it's like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, why
2: did you ever do this?
1: Yeah, our dog meals are so over the top. We've got the topper. We've got like this mushroom stuff. We've got like yeah. a probiotic. Oh, we had probiotic really for sure. On both of them. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of dogs do you have?
2: So we have Australian Labradoodles. So okay.
1: We have, um, Very cute.
2: Yeah, Lucy's caramel colored. She's about forty pounds, and then we figured she needed a buddy so we got a little boy and murray's in his 20 20 pounds he's considered a mini even though he's not he's like super tall yeah um but small head and they're, they're adorable yeah those they?
1: are the mini doodles that like the little guys that are very soft and curly and soft like, and like,
2: curly um and yeah i mean we had a newfoundland before so we went from a 140 oh, wow. pound dog to a 40 pound dog yeah,
1: newfies are beasts yeah <laughs> big
2: we were walking here one day, and these girls ran up and were like, is that a bear? <laughs> 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 they do look like bears.
1: That and Bouviers. Totally. Uh, Bouvier de to Flanders look like bears, too. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, what's your favorite, band or musician? So. And have they played at Ravinia? I don't think so. <laughs> so I, I'm going to go in my top five in
2: no particular order. Uh, sure. Stones, mm-hmm. U2, Zeppelin, The Who. And Prince,
1: wow, very good.
2: Seen them all except Zeppelin. I've seen Robert Plant live, but I've seen them all multiple times live. When I saw the Stones, and I'm going to go again this summer. When I saw them last time was right at you know the first show here after Mick had his heart surgery. Mm. It was one of the best shows I've ever seen.
1: So mm. expensive to go to one of those shows. It's crazy. Just any live music now. It's, it's insane. It's ridiculous. What are they thinking? I know it's ridiculous, but <laughs> for the Stones, it's like this truly <laughs> could be the last one. I think I want to blame Spotify. All and of that, the, all because of because everyone the, listens to our podcast on Spotify I do. One of the bus. I do. But like, uh, you know, it's like, I, I think because it's harder, you know, people aren't selling albums, so they have to make money on their tours through well, that's that how and they merch. Make money. Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's great. I mean, they don't make money. on their Yeah. At all. Um, I know you've talked about this in the past, but I do listen, I listen to all my podcasts at speed one and a half. Okay. Um, there's another restaurant, uh, podcast based in LA, um, called Air Jordan, And he begins his podcast with music every time, Mm. and ends with music. And when I listen to the beginning, I'm like, "God, this song actually sounds better at a time and a half." Oh yeah, all right, gets
1: a pump. Favorite movie,
2: Chinatown.
0: Oh, very nice. Yeah, I. It's a great movie. In the
1: early
2: '90s, I saw it for the first time, and I got hooked. And you know, I I remember the, the scene where they, the cops throw jack nicholson's head up against the wall and by a phone and oh. say hey is this is this your telephone number and he's like i don't know i don't call myself <laughs>
1: such a good line. such a great movie it's so good yeah oh my gosh all right todd And then our last question if you weren't doing this what would you be doing it's a tough one um because of this
2: i really um got to learn and know a lot about cigars and whiskey Mm. Um, and I think if I wasn't doing this, I would do something in that world, like uh, Jack Schwartz. Could be. I would love to have a cigar store. So I had a, you know, if I if like. Money was no object, and I didn't have to work. I'd have a cigar store, so I had a place to shoot the shit with my friends and smoke cigars and drink good whiskey. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: there is the cigar lounge in, like, the Gold Coast, right? Uh, the Clayton is over by the train
2: station, which is a megaplex of cigars and booze. Um, it's great. It's a private club. Um, I think um, – what was that? Yes, in the old Biggs Mansion. I
1: think so, yeah. Yeah, it still exists. I was supposed to have a meeting there, and I never did. I don't know what happened. Yeah, but. I think it still exists. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a wrap on Todd. Awesome! Yeah, thanks thank for you guys us for tonight. having me. Yeah, it was fun being here. And that concludes our conversation with Todd Stein of Ballyhoo Hospitality. As always, remember to check us out on social media, and subscribe, and like the podcast, and give us a review. Again. As you know, we only accept positive reviews. If you have a negative review, please email Danny Shapiro directly or text him. uh, At Danny Shapiro at (laughs) We will rectify that situation as uh, quickly as possible. Also, hey, check us out on YouTube. We have our YouTube video out. We've talked a lot about Danny smoking weed for the first time in a long time. That video is (laughs) out, and it's... uh, it's being my viewed. lungs have still never recovered <laughs> it's taking off like a lead balloon uh, <laughs> i think we have about 14 views <laughs> so be sure to check that out um it's selling like the opposite of hot case. <laughs> 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 that's my favorite zach zach this episode was produced by matt haddock music by captain cuts and of course our real work's done by the one and only joe guzzo the third thanks for listening we'll see you next week